Welcome to You Wear It Well. Hi, I'm your host, Jeff Heiserman, physical therapist and founder and CEO of Spectrum Ergonomics and Occupational Health Services. We're at the intersection of fashion and technology, otherwise known as wearables. We look at the people, products, and research that make up this exciting world of wearables. Are you a fashion designer, electrical engineer, or someone with the dream of designing a wearable? Apply for membership to my LinkedIn group page, Biotech Fashion, and join in the discussion. And welcome back to another podcast of You Wear It Well. I'd like to introduce our guest speaker for this podcast, Dr. Demetrius Zaitis of Tonus Tech. Uh, Dr. Zaitis is the Chief Technical Officer of Tonus Tech and has agreed to discuss some of the, the genesis of the company as well as the, the technical side of what he's currently working on, on their prototype. So, Dr. Zaitis. The floor is yours. Uh, hello. hello Jeff. So first of all, thanks for inviting me. Um, and yeah, I guess um, uh, I, probably a good idea to start with um, how Tonus came to be. Um, so um, my co-founders and I, uh, Mariana and Ahmed, we met on this um, company builder program here in uh, London, UK uh, called Zinc. Uh, so what it is, is uh, essentially a, a company builder that has a specific social mission every year. And in the particular one that we were on, it was about adding five years of quality to later, to later life. So it was all about how uh, looking at how technology can be used to, um, to improve um, uh, problems associated with, uh, with, with aging. So early on, so this was a, basically a nine month program that started um, late 2019. Um, so we actually didn't know each other before the program. We met on the program. We started working together from a very early stage. Um, we had a really good connection. Um, and a good team with sort of complementary skills. So my background um, personally is in, um, uh, I studied cybernetics, which is essentially a combination of um, elements of robotics uh, with a kind of a, a focus on control systems and uh, AI and all sorts. My kind of um, attention started, but I started on uh, kind of the electronic side, but my attention started to, to shift more and more towards the software. So that kind of the software engineering element of robotics is kind of my my. Uh, main background. Um, Mariana is uh, um, our uh, CEO. She's um, a venture architect. She's uh, got a product design and business background. Um, and she's been, her, her, her background is been in industrial automation and the automotive industry. So she's had um, a lot of experience working with different um, corporate ventures in, in large companies, but also in smaller companies. Uh, and Ahmed is um, a medical doctor. Um, for Oxford and um, Imperial College alumni with um, sort of focus on neuroscience uh, and uh, active duty as a, as a NHS doctor um, and also um, has done a lot of um, entrepreneurial kind of um, activities himself as well in, in different kind of medical device um, themed areas. Um, so we had a really good uh, sort of team with complementary skills but really what brought us together was this um, um, kind of the, the common passion to look at um, uh, mobility um, and specifically the kind of the physical aspects. So how can we use technology to improve um, people's mobility? 
so personally, my kind of my background with robotics, I've always been um, interested in, in anything to do with robotics, but particularly how can robotics and humans sort of work together and collaborate. So it's uh, more about having, having that kind of um, interface between humans and, and machines and less about the automation. I've always been interested in this kind of human in the loop aspect of things. And I've always wanted to be able to do something that involved, you know, have, using robotics for good to make a difference. Um, so that's as, so. As we were on this program, we started looking at different um, ideas, but always it always came back to this idea of how can we, um, what can we do for for mobility and improving mobility, um, and that sort of slowly started to to take the um, kind of form that we we liked the a lot of the ideas around exoskeletons, so um, these are basically machines that can help people move, but we wanted to see um, to what extent they could actually be kind of um, uh, moved from from kind of the the world of the the clinical realm to more the the kind of the age tech and the wellness. So can they help uh, with people who may have already some either healthy movement or semi healthy movement? So they have they have the ability to move, but they need that augmentation to help them um, continue moving. So the whole idea is that we want to keep people and encourage everyone, despite their age and physical condition, um, to be active and mobile for longer through this kind of um, technologies. So early on, a kind of a, a tagline for that is imagine that it's kind of an electric bike for your for your body, kind of kind of the same principle. But um, we really wanted to see how this could actually be com combined into a more of a wearable technology. It becomes part of something that's inside your clothing rather than um, more of a of a machine that you that you sort of strap on. Um, and uh, obviously, this is um, that is the, the big vision is to, to look at this uh, these soft robotics technologies that can achieve this. Um, but we realize that is a very big kind of challenging road. Um, and we've been looking at all the different elements of that road. So from the actuation elements to the to the uh, the textiles and the fabrics, but also the, the sensing. So how would you start? Um, how would you actually, um, from in the, in the first place, measure people's uh, um, motion um, but, and then use that uh, information about how they're moving to actually inject the right forces in the right time? Um, so that's... Um, so the, the, the Zinc program, we, we finished that um, sort of around the summer of last year, and then we formally incorporated in the UK. Uh, and since then, we've been um, actively working, doing uh, working uh, primarily on a lot of prototyping, but also trying to, um, to continue our kind of a fundraising activities. Um, and something that's quite exciting for us is that um, early this year, we also joined a robotic startup hub um, in Denmark, Odense, um, and they essentially support us on the business element side uh, but also on the technical development. So particularly um, in the areas of AI and machine learning, which we can talk about later, that's something that they're, that they're um, assisting us on, on, the, on the technical side. Um, so uh, right now, I guess, so it, since, since last year, we, we started um, looking at, first of all, um, um, exploring all the different technologies that we felt would make sense for what we Want to do from the point of view of the actuation and from the sensing and we have done some various uh, early stage prototypes and then later stage prototypes um, for for the sensing so right now we have um, been exploring the use of uh, inertial measurement units or imus so these are the, the kind of the sensors that you might find in your mobile phone um, but if you have those placed at different parts of your body you can then and basically aggregate all that information and start to say and start getting information about you know what is the particular joint angle that um, um, at any given time in, in an activity. So for example, what is the angle of my knee when I do it in a squat? Um, so we've started um, 
uh, creating a, a prototype that just uses um, these initial management units um, as a first uh, kind of a first uh, starting point. Um, we wanted to, to make something that was very um, user friendly and easy easy to kind of to, to understand. So part of that was was merging this or combining this with um, say a, a phone or tablet application where you essentially have a kind of a digital twin representation of yourself. So if I was to basically put on um, these sensors in a suit um, and then I have a screen and I can actually see when I do a particular motion, I can see how I'm doing that motion either live or played back later in, in terms of recording. So it, that, that always gives a um, gives a, gives the user just a much a better feeling of what actually the sensors are doing rather than just seeing, say, the, the raw data um, later on. Um, so that's so as we've um, been more and more looking into this um, this technology as a way to um, um, for, for the motion analysis itself to actually be useful for for the end user, but also the experts that support them. So that could be say physios or personal trainers, uh, and then the scenarios can be there can be many of these scenarios. It could be for essentially continuing or, or motivating someone to do activities for longer, or even correcting their their motion when they're doing something that's, that's inter incorrect. So it's essentially helping them figure out what the best way to, to move is. So that is a lot of prototyping activities that we've already been doing in, on the software side of things. Um, and now what we want to do is essentially create uh, this first version of a, of a leggings, we call it. So that's essentially a, a suit that you can put on that, has, that is able to monitor your lower limbs and your back um, as a first stage before we move on to say a full body suit or being able to measure other um, joints. Um, and then using, so this is essentially what we want to do is create a unique basically platform that um, can actually accept various sensor types. So it's moving on from not just the having the IMUs, but having the ability to add others. Um, right now, so the idea is that you could focus on having many different sensors, even biometrics. But right now, we're just considering um, the use of the inertial measurement units and um, these types of um, stretch sensors. Um, the reason being that when you that the sensors, the IMU sensors themselves, um, as a as a device, could be can be very accurate. So you can have, say, within one degree of, of accuracy in the device itself. But once you essentially put it onto a body, um, there are obviously lots of real world um, situations where um, it doesn't matter how accurate the sensor is, you're, you're going to have inaccuracies in the resulting um, thing that you want to, to measure. So that's because the, the sensor is going to be moving around the body or it's not going to be in the same position that it was when it started. So by having this uh, combination of different types of sensors, you can increase this robustness um, and then also maybe even simplify um, the kind of the, this what we call the calibration procedure. So making the system know in what situation state it is when you start the activity. And of course, all this while trying to also keep the cost down because we want to create something that's actually quite affordable to end users. So this um, we want to find the right balance between accuracy, but also um, um, affordability uh, and ease of use. So we want something that's essentially very easy to just put on press a button and be able to, to do this kind of um, uh, motion analysis um, and be able to, to give people real-time feedback. Oh, I have uh, um, one question. Um, explain for the listeners actuators. Mm -hmm. uh, we may have folks out there that are, aren't quite sure what an actuator is. It sounds intimidating. It sounds high tech. So basically, what, what is an actuator? So an actuator is, an, is a, a, I guess another word for, for a motor or for a, 
a component that's basically producing some kind of, of force. Um, so in, in our case, when we're talking about actuators, we're talking about um, uh, um, various kind of elements that may, that can emulate, um, say, human muscle. So when you talk about an, an artificial muscle, muscle is, a, is an actuator. So it's able to create a specific force. Um, now, if you take a, a traditional exoskeleton that may have a, um, electric motor, um, electric motors are very good at what they do. They can, they have a very good um, um, amount of power for their weight. Um, they can produce high powers that you need for, for an exoskeleton, but they, of course, they come with, with a lot of weight. Uh, so the whole system in, in general is quite heavy. So we want to, um, to look at other um, kind of um, elements are now starting to um, to emerge and, and the technology is getting better and better and they're kind of termed under the umbrella of soft robotics so it's more uh, materials that can even emulate um, uh, muscles and um, so you can imagine you have you can have a material that when um, say you either heat it or you put an electric current through it you can say it can um, contract therefore replicating the, the what the muscle would do um, now those these types of um, actuators they generally the, the force output of them is a bit lower than what you would get from a motor. So there's that challenge of being able to use them in the right context to, to produce, you know, to, to help in the right way. So a lot of the times you'll see these used for um, for haptics when it involves, um, uh, say, um, fingers. So you can have sort of haptic fingers for haptic feedback for fingers. Um, but I think as, as the technology improves, this can also be used for, for, for larger joints, like being able to assist um, potentially knees and, and elbows and such. Um, so that's um, the, the the type of um, uh, actuator that we've looked at. Is specifically it's a, it's essentially a type of polymer. Um, they're essentially called uh, dielectric plastomer actuators. Um, they come in many shapes or forms, but in in general, this these type of actuators could have the potential of, of essentially replicating how muscles work. So even if we can't at, at this stage meet the kind of the require the the power outputs that a motor could have, we can still have certain we can still have certain amounts of forces that could be useful in, in other contexts. So you can imagine, imagine if you had, say, a, this is a good example that um, someone mentioned, imagine a kinesio tape um, that could actually move. So this could be something that at a first stage could actually uh, be used as a prompt. So if this is something that is um, potentially could help uh, for posture. So if you want to be uh, to keep a right, the right posture, say when you're sitting at a desk, you could have this, um, this actuation element actually giving you that, um, that prompt, that pull, a certain um, part of the body to kind of correct your posture or if you're doing certain um, a certain movement say it could be a, a type of sports uh, movement um, but you're not doing it in, in say the, the optimal way and um, that kind of tug that the actuator could give you could actually prompt you to kind of correct your movement as you're as you're, as you're doing Okay, well, thank you for that explanation on actuator. I think that breaks it down into several different forms that uh, people that know wearables or are beginning to learn about wearables will be able to see that and go, aha, there's an actuator. What are some of the, when you talk about the technology and, and, and the development of these of, of actuators like you were just discussing and then uh, moving into this, applying that to software and, and taking a look at getting data that is, usable uh, for what you want prior to the formation of the garment and such. Um, what are some of the challenges that you've been facing in your the last several months in working with software so that you can get reliable data 
and so that you can feel comfortable moving into a, a hard prototype, so to speak, where you actually get the leggings. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, so I guess from there, so so I guess early on, one of the one of the let's say challenges or maybe decision points that we had um, was um, first of all, um, kind of weighing the, the the pros and cons of having, as I said, this fully wireless or maybe partially wireless system. So um, for us, at least initially, for for prototyping, it was easy to get these um, sensors that were. Um, entirely wireless, so each one itself is, is a unit that has the ability to communicate with Bluetooth, but also has a battery, um, and then that can stream the data to, say, a phone or a PC um, to do the data logging. Um, but with so with that comes some pros and cons. So, for example, with with a fully wireless system um, for prototyping, it's quite nice because you can just take them and add them to different parts of the body um, and do the data collection quickly. But then that comes with the cons of now you have multiple wireless um, wireless points um, that you have to all stream through Bluetooth, which is not always the best um, way of doing it. So you have to have some certain limitations with, with the bandwidth. Um, and of course, thinking a bit more to, towards the future with such a system, you also have to consider that each one of these has, um, has to have a battery. So it's, it's another thing for the user that they'd have to, you know, replace the battery at, at, at um, regular intervals or have to, have to charge them. Um, plus, there then you have to um, actually take the sensor and remove it and, and transition back on the leg. And so there's 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 pros and cons to to having um, let's say this wireless system versus the, the current our current thinking now, which is to actually have a to have a well a mostly wired system, but that has one um, one wireless point where all the data that's being collected is being sent off board. So essentially, you have let's say we call this the main hub. Um, and that is in a in somewhere in a location that kind of makes sense. Um, so if you're thinking about the leggings so on, on the, your lower back, um, and that is your kind of your hub that contains um, some of the electronics, but also the battery system and the wireless, and then all the um, the, the individual sensors that are distributed along the body um, are, have um, um, a wired connection. Now, of course, that has the so the, the the advantage of not needing all these batteries. Um, being able to have a much faster system in terms of the collecting the data, but of course adds the the new challenge now that you have to have uh, essentially what um, this um, interconnect this infrastructure that goes through not just from A to B in a straight line, but actually has to go through all the all the different joints. So you have to consider how that is going to work um, well in a in a in a, in a textile and how you integrate it. Um, so that's that's really the, the the big challenge is how you you embed it into the textile. But we see that that does have eventually has has a lot of, of benefits because you have a, a much more robust system, and that's currently what we're we're, we're working on. Um, and as I said we want this system to be um, um, thought of as, as a bit of a platform, so you can we start off with the sensors that we think are important, but we want to leave it open for um, adding or removing sensors in the future. So right now we say we have a, an an inertial measurement unit per um, part of the limb. Maybe in the future we have. Um, we, we cut down on the, the amount of sensors we use, or maybe even we, we go the other way and we have redundancy in different parts of the body. But we leave it open to be able to, to sort of um, experiment with this. Um, so that's that's currently the essentially the, the plan and also the challenge is actually trying to to merge this um, hard, the hardware, the electronics, the the integration into the, the fabric, but also all the connection points. And then also thinking um, thinking a bit about in the future. Um, how is this? How is all this thing going to practically work? So how is it going to be washable? 
how are you going to remove, say, the main hub with a battery um, and all these other things. What challenges have you faced in what's your strength and your, your high skill level is the software. Have you run into any snags with software and, and as far as processing the data and, you know, taking a look at pulling data in from, say, a knee joint, hip joint, ankle joint, those type of things? Have you seen any limitations with the software programs out there where you may have to do some augmentation of a program yourself? Um, yes, yes, of course. So um, as it as it is with uh, with um, software, um, there's never you know you know one way of of, of doing anything. Um, we started off um, wanting to basically develop something as quickly as possible to at least have a, a basic framework to then improve on. So as I said that's um, you know it, it's a bit of a learning exercise. We start off with creating let's say a a, a basic um, model that represents um, the human body. And the kinematics, but then as you as you get it, uh, as you kind of work on it and, and do user tests, you start to see where the um, where the, um, the holes are, where where things can be improved. So as I said, we have um, a very simple, say, calibration procedure at the moment, uh, and also that the system is is kind of geared towards needing to to have this um, to be. It essentially takes a snapshot at the beginning of the calibration, but then if a sensor moves around, then that can affect the, the kind of the quality of the measurement. So that is now um, something that can be improved. Uh, it can be improved from, soft, from the software point of view by just having um, the, the information you get from the emotional measurement units, but having these additional sensors um, can improve the overall um, quality of, of, the, of this. So um, I guess something that I touched upon earlier that um, maybe I can kind of expand on now is, is how kind of AI and machine learning fits into all of this. So from one side of, uh, so from one side, you have the challenge of, uh, first of all, um, taking all this kind of, let's say the, the raw data of the sensors and then turning it into something meaningful in terms of the human physiology. So saying, oh, I know what the, the knee joint is, or I know what the hip joint is at any given point of time. But then you have the, the next challenge, which is, okay, I have, you know, I have movements, um, I have information that tells me something about movement, um, but in a real world scenario, someone's just wearing this and they're moving, they may be doing a range of activities. So they may be walking, they may be doing um, um, specific reps for uh, for certain um, exercise. Um, and you want to have a way, you don't want to um, rely on having to essentially manually figure out what a person is doing at all these stages. You want from the data collected to be able to have some way of, of um, automating this procedure. Um, so say, um, if I was to say, um, um, move transition from walking to then doing, uh, from let's say a simple example, walking to running, I want to be able to, to, to figure out the different kind of stages in, in the data. So to be able to just basically segment it into different sets and say, okay, here was my walking set, here's my running set. Uh, and equally, if I was to do say an exercise, um, like a squat, I want to be able to say, you know, measure the, the kind of the repetitions and, and segment that data for the repetitions. Um, and that's the kind of the one challenge that, um, um, it, again, can be done in many ways. We, we are looking at it um, uh, from an initial simple way. We want to improve that to, to get it to make it better and better. Um, and then, of course, once you've got this um, segmentation, you can then start to think about, okay, now I have basically segmented all my data into nice kind of sets and I know, um, you know, I know I've got, um, uh, say, uh, a set that represents squats. 
now I want to essentially, uh, now I can put this into the uh, machine learning model and to try and make um, sense of it. So what the, 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 the primary goal of this is to say, um, how can I give essentially a, a score um, to the quality of movement? So if I was to say, have a, uh, a movement that represents a, a good um, squat or a good um, step, um, if I do subsequent repetitions of the same movement, how would I score it? So what method I'm going to use to score it and how am I going to say, and how am I going to kind of judge um, uh, different sets? Um, so that is where the, this machine learning comes in. Uh, and then what we're currently doing, we have a, um, um, a very uh, early, early basically a prototype of this um, where we essentially feed a lot of this, as I said, this raw data from the sensors into the machine learning model. Um, but the challenges there are trying to get this to actually work in a real world scenario. So from the point of view, from the, um, time I basically put on the suit, I press a button to do the calibration, and then the system can automatically detect um, a, a activity and then judge the activity against kind of the, the let's say the, the database that it's been trained on um, to give me a uh, to first of all understand what movement I might be doing and then give me a, a, a let's say a score to 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 judge um, how good I'm, how well I'm performing that movement. Um, and I think that that's one of the main challenges with uh, a lot of uh, the time with software is. That you may have you may have worked on one specific bit and uh, refined it and made it work really well, um, you know, in, a, in an experimental environment. But when it comes to putting it all together and integrating all these things together and having one seamless solution, um, that is where it can become very challenging. And it takes time for to to get everything to to sort of um, slot in together and and work well. Now you mentioned talking about AI, the artificial intelligence. Um, at, at what point in in the I'm not going to say software development that you've done, but the software augmentation. Um, how once you got that software augmented to the point where you can start bringing in the, the the raw data coming in from sensors, where does AI play a role in that? Um, that's a, that's a very good question. So I guess one thing I didn't. Um, uh, maybe um, touch upon is that in any of these systems you actually need quite a lot of data to to train it. Where does it come in? Is um, um, the basically you can you can train the system to um, um, to uh, let's say I don't know how to just put this well. Um, um, I'm just gonna think how to put it. Um, we're doing a podcast, so I can't break for a commercial. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, my mind just gone a, a little bit blank there. Sorry, um, we'll, we'll give you some time on that. It's, it wasn't a trick question on purpose. No, no, no. <laughs> um, no there's, so one of the one of the tricks is is to you know to to be able to um, to, to, to to for us to be able to give a, uh, a score to to or to, to for the quality of movement or the, the data by um, um, and it's 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 hard to, to, to put this into a context of kind of a bit blank. Um, what would you? I mean, not to take over your presentation, but would the would the AI use known data? So we have normative data for, for instance, when an individual is at normal speed walking, they need sixty degrees of hip flexion in order to have their toes clear so they don't trip. Would AI take? take that normative data of 60 degrees hip flexion, 
Uh, they need two degrees of dorsiflexion so they can walk without tripping. And it would take that normative data and then would, you would be able to use AI to take that normative data and then put your data into that and, and kind of give it, give the software a direction to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because you need to, to basically give it um, quite a, a wide variety of, of kind of, uh, of data. So uh, maybe an example, say, of vision processing where this can be applied to is um, you can imagine if I wanted to, rep to recognize, say, a specific object, um, I might have pictures of it from different positions, but you know I can't have I can't have a, an exact picture of, of something from every single angle. I need to give it just just an idea of what this object might be, be look like from fewer different angles, um, and then kind of try and interfere, try and infer you know oh that's the same object when I've seen it from an angle that I've never seen before. So that's an example. And when it comes to say again with as a really good example, um, but also with walking. Um, I may be walking at different speeds. So again, the data may be looking, you know, the, the, the length of the data, the timestamps, that could all be different, but I might be walking at different speeds, but yet be doing that in, in the right way. Um, so I need to give the, the, you know, we need to give the, the machine learning enough information, enough data to know, oh, if I am, say, walking at one meter per second or two meters per second, I'm still walking in, say, like, let's say, a, um, uh, an optimal way. Um, and if I'm doing something like I, I've got a bit of a, um, a um, I've got a bit of a problem in the hip or the knee, and I'm kind of limping, then that is where you, you can say, "Oh, the um, um, it, something's wrong, and it doesn't match up." So then there's there's there's, there's a problem there. Um, so it's it's a ba basically about giving giving machine learning enough information to be able to then recognize situations that it hasn't seen before. And again, that is where it comes when it comes into play. You you do need quite a lot of of, of data. Um, and yes, uh, as you said, you, there are many, um, I guess, many data sets, open data sets that you can start off with, and that's something that we, we did early on. Um, but as because we are now looking at more specific, so as I said, we're looking at these specific um, um, positions of our sensors plus the combination of the two different types of sensors, that kind of data, you can't easily find that. Uh, uh, it's also it's something that we are developing a platform to then be able to collect all this data um, so as as soon as we have essentially the first kind of pair of the first um, set of of leggings, and we can produce a small amount of unit, we can then do our let's say our proper user trials and collect a lot of this data, and then start building on that and start building our own database. Um, and it it, it um, for every let's say for every different movement, you'll you'd have to do a lot of repetitions to to have enough data to train them all in in the right way. So and maybe a, a nice example that I was looking at recently is. Um, within physiotherapy, there's essentially, um, let's say, um, a, a screening, an initial screening session that you might do with a patient. So like a functional movement test where you have these um, six or seven different um, um, movements that you want to perform. And then you can judge um, sort of the, the flexibility um, and the agility of a, of, a, of a patient. Now, that can be done in a visual way. But if you had something like this leggings, you could actually collect the data um, and then you could more, more um, objectively score how well that, um, you know, so you could give the patient, say, an agility score or a flexibility score based on that. But you would need enough. So you would need to, say, train, you know, a number of different um, machine learning models with the different, with these different um, uh, movements. And you would have to do this for obviously all the different um, body types, because it's, it's not just one body type looking at, you're looking at, you know, many different people, all sorts of different um, um, body types and all sorts of different conditions. Okay.
the future. Um, now that you are you know, well into moving forward with the prototype, what do you see the future as far as this whole idea of actuators to augment physical abilities of, of individuals? Is it an unlimited future? Do you see nothing but blue skies ahead for, for this field? Um, I certainly do. Um, we've had several conversations in the past about that. Um, but now that you're in the midst of it and, and you're doing all the you're doing all the tech and, and I'm I'm hearing all the wonderful things that, that you folks are doing. And to me, it's just like, oh, it's blue skies. There's no clouds. Do you see some limitations in the future that will have to be overcome? Like the early days of computers, processors were only so fast. They, they couldn't improve on computers until they could make the processor faster. So do you see any analogy like that with, with the software and the augmentation with AI and all that for the, in the near future or the intermediate future that might hold up some of the, the, um, the this fast development in the technology? And this is this is lightning fast as far as the consumer is concerned, as far as the medical people like myself are, are concerned. This is moving very rapidly. Um, you don't have the you don't have the constraints on you like the pharmaceutical industry. You know they they've got to have so many tests and it's got to be so many years and da da da. This is to us it's a meteoric pace at which we see technology from the consume from the consumers and, and from us in the medical field. Do you see any slowing down at some point? Do you see technology having to be developed a little bit more to keep pace with? your ideas, you know, oh, I want to do this, but the software just isn't there yet. Do you see anything like that coming up in the near future? Um, no, that's a great question. I think, I think as, as you said, I think it's mostly a, a kind of a blue sky ahead, particularly, so there's so many, I think there's so many individual elements that are just getting better and better with, uh, you know, every year. So particularly when we're talking about, you know, battery, battery power is always one thing. I think that's probably one of the main things that just needs to, to to improve, the, you know, the how much um, power, how much charge a battery can hold, and how much it can deliver. Um, but you know, in terms of the computation, and now the you know the speed in which it takes to to to, to train AI models and all that, it's, it's only going to get better and better and better. I think one of the one of the biggest challenges, uh, other than specific to just taking isolated hardware like batteries, I think one of the biggest challenges is actually bringing all the different disciplines together uh, and. So this kind of cross-disciplinary thinking of, of these um, of these products, that's where um, that is the biggest challenge. So it's actually getting the different um, the different disciplines working together um, and actually making all this stuff sort of fit together and, and work. So you have the software, the electronics, but now you have the fashion, you have the textiles, um, you, you need the medical background, the medical um, support, the knowledge. Um, you know, all this to, to put this all together into one seamless package is always the big challenge. Yeah, I think that's that's something when I talk with with other people that are involved in wearables, I think that's the biggest thing is multidisciplinary. Who do you bring on? When do you bring them on? Uh, what would be considered a group consensus? Yeah, that's uh, it's kind of like United Nations, you know, pulling in the the different specialties together and then getting agreement upon you know moving forward, but also understanding. We all have our limitations. That's why we bring other people on board uh, to be able to, to move forward with that. Yeah, and well, that's Dr. really. Oh, oh, go ahead. Yes, no, so I'm saying that that is uh, that is really 
um, kind of the important thing for for the team. We we don't want to just um, you know be seen as you know an engineering team. We need to be a you know a company that is that is from from its core multidisciplinary. So it brings in all these different. So so you know in terms of the kind of the the personalities or the, the people that we that we want to kind of employ in the in the future is um, people who are open to you know they they're not just stuck into the one uh, into one box. They they're just um, you know they're problem solvers at heart. And they want to learn about all these different um, um, disciplines, so they, they just they just you know this cross pollination between all these different um, areas of science and technology sort of um, merge together and become you know the next kind of uh, the next level of where we want to take wearables. Very good point. Well, Dr. Zaitis, thank you very much for being on the podcast, and I, I know the listeners will probably find it very fascinating to see the the whole genesis of a company and moving to where they're at as far as moving to a prototype and, and the hurdles, the, actually the many hurdles that companies have to go through before that product's out on the market and, and being used for the general population as well as uh, medical population. And I think that uh, it's, it's been invaluable to have your insight on that. So we'll certainly we'll have you back again in the, in the future as your company continues to take off and develop more products as time goes on, it'd be really interesting to have you come back and, and listen to your perspective about developing some new products or talking about the product or two that you have out on the market and, and kind of reflecting back on the hurdles and uh, finding a little bit more about the, the blue sky period coming up in, in this market. So again, thank you very much for speaking on the podcast and uh, have yourself a good rest of your day. Thank you as well, and likewise, and I hope to yeah, I hope to speak again shortly. Okay, thank you. Hey, if you're a startup wearable company and you'd like to be able to get your information on this podcast, please contact me at my company website, www.spectrum ergonomics.com. I'd love to be able to feature a little bit about what you're doing to let the world know about your wearable. Well, thanks for joining me at the intersection of fashion and technology. And may you wear it well. <laughs>